The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Celebrating 90 years of motorsports coverage. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass, here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection service appointments or collision need today's guest mike an accomplished crew chief and former driver at age 12 he competed in the world karting association where he won seven championships in the state of south carolina and five championships at the national level before moving to late model stocks made his bush series debut in 2000 retired from driving however in 2003 to focus on becoming a mechanic his career features stints at Penske Jasper Racing, MB2 Motorsports, Everham Motorsports, and Michael Waltrip Racing. In 2014, he became Kevin Harvick's crew chief at Stewart Haas Racing, 
He and Harvick combined to win the NASCAR Sprint Cup Series title right out the gate in 2014. The two combined to win 36 points, races, 25 poles, and one all-star race. He remains the crew chief of the number four with new driver Josh Berry after the retirement of Kevin Harvick last season. Welcome to the show, Rodney Childers. Rodney, say hi to Mike Wallace. Hey, Mike. How are y'all? We're doing good, Rodney. I'm going to tell you what, buddy. I, uh, I I knew you as Mr. Crew Chief. I didn't realize you had all that driving <laughs> credentials and championships at such a young age. I mean, that, that's, that's right. pretty impressive. You're, you're age 12, and you're winning state championships and national championships in the World Karting Association. Yeah, that's he, a big deal. It, think about it, Rodney. If you would have knew what you know today, at age 12, you could have had yourself a cup career. <laughs> I, I, I say that all the time. If Do I you? only knew back then what I know now. Yeah, that's right. We make a joke here on the show that uh, you know you got to have your career in place and settled by twelve to fourteen if you're going to have a career in it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, it goes by in a hurry. Yeah. So if, if you don't mind, the whole as I said during the break, the whole world is listening to the show, right, Jeff? That's right. Whole world. And uh, worldwide audience, worldwide it's audience, big. and uh, everybody knows your name, everybody knows your su- most recent success. But you've been a 25 year old, 25 year overnight success. I mean, you've been around for a long time, and uh, no such thing as overnight success, right? It's overnight recognition. Okay, how about that? Beautiful. But could you, Rodney, could you take us back to that 12 year old go kart racer? And, and tell you know, the story, and let's start from back as far as you want and tell us how you, uh, all your interest, and just we'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, growing up, my dad was a, a car salesman in Charlotte and still is to this day. And um, what kind of cars know, he sold? He has sold Mercedes for 47 years now. Oh, nice. Okay, beautiful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, at a young age, I had one uncle on my mom's side of the family that loved to go to Metrolina and Carolina and all those places and, and race dirt cars and and was exposed to that a little bit, but didn't really go to the racetrack much. But always, you know, would if I was at their house, I was out in the garage with them and, you know, loved being around the cars and stuff. And then I had another uncle that drag raced and went to Mooresville every Friday night. And I honestly started going with him the most. Um, he had a three-wheeler that they would pull the car to the line. And honestly, I went to the drag races so I could drive the four-wheeler, not because I wanted to be around drag racing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I started doing that a lot. And then um, one of my best friends, his dad bought a racing go-kart. And at the same time, I had kind of got into remote control airplanes and was doing that. And I wasn't really having a whole lot of fun with it, honestly. And I I had always had, like, a lot of yard carts and dirt bikes and four-wheelers growing up. And so when I got to be 12 years old, um, I ended up kind of trading out some stuff with with my best friend's dad. And he he wanted to fly airplanes, and I wanted to race go-karts. And... um, we started looking around for used go-karts and me and my mom went and looked at one over in Lincolnton and it was an old Margay and, and, um, well, you know, you, let, me, let me tell you a story. You'll love this, Rodney. My wife, we came from St. Louis, Missouri and Margays are built in St. Louis. 
my wife used to race Margate carts. Is that right? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I did, had to interrupt oh, for just fine. a storyline. <laughs> <laughs> you're fine. So, you know, actually, my first race was at Millbridge. It's funny, it's still going these days, but uh, my first race was at Millbridge. And, um, you yeah, know, race there, I don't know, maybe eight or nine times, you know, that first year by the time we got going. And, it was just me and my mom in the back of a pickup truck. And, um, you know, we went through that first year. And then at the end of that year, we had a guy call that owned a cart shop in Troutman. And he said that he would like for us to just start traveling with him. And I could keep my go-kart at his shop and travel in their trailer and all that kind of stuff. So he was running the adult classes and I was running the junior classes and, we did that for a year and, you know, we won a lot of races and different things. And then at the end of that year, um, I got a call to drive for a factory team, which at the time was called Olympic carts and started driving for them. And the very first state race we went to, we won every class that we entered. And then the very first national that we went to, which just happened to be in St. Matthew, South Carolina, we won every class that we had entered. And, um, it just kind of exploded after that. Like it turned into having a little shop and being, you know, maybe 10 or 12 go-karts behind to a year after that, or maybe a year and a half after that, um, buying out trick carts and moving into a big building and being 150 go-karts behind. Wow. Um, uh, so all of, the, all of the, <laughs> all of the go-kart stuff went by in a hurry. Um, you know, once I got joined up with them, we were pretty much just winning everywhere we went and had a lot of fun with that. Um, you know, that's where I met, um, you know, Clayton Rogers and his dad and keeping up with his go-karts and building his go-karts for him. And, um, and that turned into doing other things for them and, and taking him racing and stuff. And, and basically it came down to Keith calling me one day and wanting to take me to lunch and, you know, said that he was going to buy a late model stock car and he wanted me to drive it. And, um, it kind of took off from there. Um, so let know, me stop you just for a second. When you're in your early age of go-kart racing, you were badass then, right? I mean, you, you don't win all those races. Right. I, were you just a driver, or did you have all this kind of knowledge that you have today? Did you understand the go-karts back then, or did somebody work on them and you just drove them? Um, I worked on them. That was kind of my deal. Was every day when I would get out of school, I would go work on them and work on my tires and all that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, we we had, you know, for instance, in in 95 we had five go-karts in the trailer and about 130 to 140 tires at a time um about 14 engines we were all lined up on the left side of the trailer and we traveled you know the whole east coast all the nationals uh the north carolina state series really wasn't much of a series back then there was no competition uh the south carolina state series was a lot of the same people that ran in the nationals so that's why it always looks weird that I ran South Carolina State stuff so much. But, um, yeah, I mean, we we won everywhere we win. And, that's, that's amazing. Um, what, what do you think early on your success? I mean, uh, there, there's kids with natural talent, right? You just, you're good. But it sounds like you were very dominant. Was any particular thing or you were just good? <laughs> I think it was, I think it was just a little bit of everything. I think, you know, my, 
mechanical skills my whole life was probably above where it should have been you know even at a real young age i could you know at 12 years old my first year racing go-karts i could build my own engines Hmm. and you know it was kind of one of those things to where i just understood things easily um you know whether it was engines and bearings and tires and wheels and you know stagger and you know i was one of the first ones to put 70 percent cross in a in a go-kart when everybody else had 52 percent and um you know it just uh just weird things like that that stand you know stand out in my mind but um you know that was a huge learning curve like i think back on that and and getting to drive for a factory team was just you know expedited that learning curve you know we were building new go-karts every week and like this one might be out of 100 you know 120 wall tubing and this one might be 095 and this one might be 083 or this one might be split in half to where the right side's 95 and the left side's 083 and this one might have a 14 degree spindle and this one's got a two degree spindle and all those things like i mean at 14 years old you're learning about front end geometry and kingpin inclination and all those things that most 14 year olds never even learn about so um you know i think just all of that is what kind of made me take off with all of it was just being exposed to it and kind of having to do it on my own and figure it out on my own it was really just me and one other guy that you know made all those decisions of what we're going to build and how we're going to build it so um yeah i mean like i said it was a so, ton of fun yeah so with all that success in go-karting i mean early on the understanding you, you've got me really intrigued by your knowledge i mean you're you sound like a 14 year old engineer is what you sound like to me right? <laughs> you know no, i mean at 14 he's laying the groundwork to be a successful crew chief no doubt yeah i mean right? 12 he's building his own motors 14 he's understanding front-end geometry and that no and and this is not a a uh trying to back you in the corner but were you a good student in school did you enjoy going to school or did you that wasn't high on the priority list yeah i was i was pretty good in school um it's funny we just had this conversation with our kids the other night because they asked what what i was good at in school and what i was bad at and um you know the things i was good at in school was math and drafting and if you wanted to talk to me about history, I would stand up in the class and raise my hand and tell the history teacher I didn't care what happened back then. It didn't matter. What's and behind me is of no concern. It's not going to help my future knowing what happened back then. So, you know, history and Spanish and all those I could have cared less about. But, you know, when it came to math and drafting and drawing houses and parts and pieces and stuff like that, that's what, you know, I had fun with. It just depends on how your mind works, right? I mean, because my older brother is an engineer, was, uh, was very good in math. I was horrible in math. My daughter is a math teacher. But I failed geometry and algebra. But I could make up a great story. But you know how to do yeah. that right, radio <laughs> stuff, man. You're the best there is in that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So I was just curious about the schooling because you, you, you sound just so smart, you know, when you're 14 and talking about, you know, he's rattling off wall thicknesses of tubing for go-karts and this and that. The average person, even grown-ups today, don't right. think about that. But slightly over yeah. my head. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. you slightly over <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay, so Rodney, we've established you're slightly over Jeff's head at this moment. 
Okay, that was a smart fella. Yeah, let's go back to 14 <laughs> then. As you were guys were building that go karts and racing those go karts and kicking everybody's butt, especially in the South Carolina area. Uh, and I'll bet you're thinking to yourself, man, this is easy. When I move to late model stocks, I'm going to kick ass there too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that first year in late model stock was, you know, definitely a learning curve. Just, you know, shocks and springs and and that kind of thing just was something I'd never messed with and. You know, I tried to run, I think it was seven or eight races that first year and really didn't run very good at hardly any of them. And we ended up buying a car off of Greg Marlowe off, you know, over the winter. And Greg just kind of took me under his wing. He would just show up at the shop every single day and was teaching me about bump steer and teaching me about shocks and what rebound does and this and that. And he helped me through the whole winter of, you know, it was his old car, but so he knew the ins and outs of everything with it. And he's like, all right, put these springs in it and these shocks on it. And this is how you're going to scale it. And you're going to go to the racetrack and you're going to figure out how to drive it. So we went through all that and we showed up at the first race of the year at, at Tri-County. And it was a big money race. Well, when I say big money, it's 5000 to win. It was 150 lapper. And we sat on the pole and led every lap. And... Right then, he's like, I think I've helped you too much. Um, <laughs> so we went on to win in 11 races that year at Tri-County and sit on the pole. God, it seemed like every week. But, um, you know, and you know that year, just learned a ton. And at the same time, I was keeping up with Clayton's car and crew chiefing for him on Saturday nights at Concord. So I won 11 races. He won 10 races. So between the two of us, there's only one guy keeping up with cars. And we won 21 races together that year. So now I know um, why Clayton Clay Rogers. He he was help helped my son Matt race. Oh yeah. And he always talks about Rodney. Rodney, Rodney this, Rodney that, and it's just like, <laughs> what the hell is Rodney? Well, they had they I, had I, some I, pretty immediate I, success. Yeah, there. no kidding. Cool. Now I see where all this is coming. from. great spot for a timeout. We'll come yeah. back with more. We're talking to Rodney Childers. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Hi, it's Mike Wallace. You need to get behind the wheel of a vehicle that's built tough with Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle that we have in stock. That's right, $500 off any vehicle that's currently in stock. To take advantage of this deal, simply visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com slash Wallace. Don't miss out on this opportunity to save big on our entire inventory. Get $500 off of new and used cars, trucks, and SUVs at Mark Ficken, Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Ficken, Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Ficken, Ford Lincoln, works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. We're talking to Rodney Childers. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Rodney, I'm just, you know, I, I'm, I'm awed by your early success. And then you were talking about Clayton. I call him Clay, Clay Rogers, who I thought was really badass in late models, only to find out you were better than he was. <laughs> <laughs> and because he always, he helped my son Matt race a little bit and always talked about you and you guys being really tight. So he was racing, you were racing. Where Did it continue like that, or how did, how did it go from that point? After you guys yeah, won all I mean, those races there. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if it wasn't for, you know, Clayton's dad, it, you know, I would have never got a chance to drive a late model. So, you know, it all happened because of them. And um, and then, sadly, when we won all those races at the, you know, in 98, I got a call to go Slim Jim All Pro racing, uh, which was a touring series back then of NASCAR. And you got to, you know, travel all up and down the East Coast. And it was more like a super late model in a way, more power, uh, more or less that way, lighter car. Um, and I don't know if I was necessarily ready for that at the time. Um, you know, I, I definitely bid at the opportunity to go do that. Um, I didn't understand those type of cars and three link cars and all that. And we went to the first race of the year and sit on the pole and led the most laps and did there, a lot a of pattern cool here. Do you right? know? <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, the, that whole year in 99 run the all pro series, I actually never won a race. And, um, you know, I think I sat on the pole like four or five times and led a ton of laps and we would always have something happen. We had one engine that would break a valve spring every time we ran and it seemed, and we lost our brakes, gosh, probably five of the races, I would say, you know, whether that was me figuring out what I was supposed to be doing with the brake pedal or, or what, but, um, or just, you know, building a better car with better brakes on it probably was the, you know, looking back on it was what we needed to do because we were always leading when we would lose our brakes. So, you know, figuring that part out, you know, would have been key. Um, but, you know, traveling around all those different racetracks helped a ton. Um, you know, having to, which I was kind of used to that from the go-kart side of things, you know, racing in a different state every weekend. But, you know, going with that all-pro series, you were racing against the best of the best. Um, you know, Wayne Anderson and Billy Bigley and, uh, you know, Freddie Query and, gosh, who else? Hal Goodson. Uh, Those were all big names of, in that racing, weren't, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, just a, just a ton of people that were in that stuff at the time. So, you know, I learned a lot. Um, yeah, I definitely wish I could have won a race and wish I could have could go back and do it differently. But we had fun and we went through that year together and kind of realized that we probably both needed to do something different. And who were you driving for at that time? Who were you involved with in that? I was program? driving for I was driving for CNC Bowler. Okay. Um, that was before Jeff Fultz drove that car. And um, yeah, I mean. 
like I said, I, I don't think I knew exactly what, how to work on those cars and they really didn't know how to work on them either. So it was kind of a mutual thing to where we both needed to be better. And that's really why Jeff came in the next year to drive it. It was Jeff had super late model race his whole life. He knew how to work on them. He knew how to set them up and they went on the next year to win a lot of races. And I don't remember if they won the championship the next year or if it was two years after that. So you know, it worked out for them for sure. Um, you know, like I said, I wish I could have done a better job and and did something different. But um, but like like I said, we learned. I learned a lot, and you know, wouldn't trade it for anything. But um, you know, at the end of that year, we were able to build another late model stock car and go race that, which I had a lot more confidence in. Um, we went to the big race at the beach and qualified up front. <coughs> sorry qualified up front and, and raced up front the whole race but um that's kind of you know after that is kind of when it became tough because you know it it was you know are you going to go back and late model stock race um you know clarence up in you know martinsville he wanted me to move to martinsville and had a house for me to live in and all and wanted me to move up and drive for is that, is that the Clarence him. Steakhouse car that was fucking yeah. famous? <laughs> yeah, he's still around. He's is an he? awesome, awesome man and loves racing. And, um, you know, I had a, a few different opportunities like that, but it really just turned into sporadic stuff. I ran some Hooters races, um, and then I, I ran the ARA. It was called the UARA series at the time. I started running it, and... I don't know if it was good or bad. I, I won the first five races straight and it was, they had a TV deal and, um, I think his last name was Botenheimer that owned that series back then. And he pulled me beside the trailer one day and asked me not to come back. And, um, <laughs> cause you won too much. <laughs> he said it was ruining his TV deal. So, Did he, he really uh, asked you not to, not to slow up or do something, but not to come back, huh? Yeah, and um, I had kind of, I was somewhat driving for Jay Robinson at the time, and Jay took it as, you know, we've made it. You know, he, he thought it was a good thing that they were asking us not to come back, and I took it the other way. I was so mad. So, so uh, um, let me back up for a second. You drove for Jay Robinson. In late models, I did. And that's wow. who I ran my first bush race for. Um, I didn't know and that. And then yeah we ended up having a little split up but i don't know he kind of wanted to go one direction i wanted to go another and i'd probably got too old to you know i i thought i knew everything maybe i don't know but what age were you um, when you thought you knew everything at that point well i mean that probably would have been like 2001 so i mean i was already what 25 years old and so just about yeah, over I, the hill, weren't you, buddy? Right? Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 yeah. These days. That's our inside joke in this show is age. Yeah. You know, we, we talk about it <laughs> quite a bit. How, Because how... if you're not in a, yeah, if you're not in a late model stock not by the time you're 12, you know, right? Just, um, yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry. I just had to say that. <laughs> uh, like I said, I mean, you know, after running the Slim Jim All Pro Series, it was kind of a, a deal to where I was kind of begging for rides in a way um there was a few different rides that i thought i had um you know i i thought i was going to get to share that 17 car with kenseth um and then me and clayton actually ended up battling for it and they took clayton because he was younger and 
which kind of sucked at the time because we were like best friends kind of, and we were almost like brothers and he got it over me, which. So well, how, know, how think, did dad go? I want to hear that. What did you, when you found <clears throat> out that he got that ride with all the success that you've had, you setting up as late model cars back in the day, what, what was your feeling at that point? Well, it was such a weird situation because I called, Clayton to tell him that John Riser had just called me and wanted me to test the bush car this week. And when I told Clayton that he's like, you gotta be kidding me. And I said, why? He said, well, I just got off the phone with John Riser also. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding me. So they had called him and wanted him to test it. They had called me and wanted me to test it. And they had called Tracy Hines and wanted him to test it. So they had all show, all three of us show up on the same day, and the, they thought it was crazy that me and Clayton rode up there together. You know, we pull <laughs> we pull in the racetrack together, and we're going to battle for who's going to get to drive this thing the next year. So, um, such it was so odd, you know. Like Tracy got to drive it, and then Clayton got to drive it, and and each driver was allowed to you know, change things on the car, you know, if they wanted to drop the track bar or they wanted to add some wedge or whatever, it was kind of up to the driver to tell them what they wanted to do. And I kind of knew from our background that whatever Clayton had, I could drop the track bar a half inch on both sides and I could normally keep the tires on it longer than him. So he, um, he went first and he had adjusted the left front shock a little bit and put a little bit more rebound in it. And then I, I drove it and I said, honestly, it's pretty good. I said, I think if you're going to tell us to make a 50 lap run, I need to drop the track bar a half inch on both sides. And so we did that and Tracy made a 50 lap run and then Clayton made a 50 lap run and I made a 50 lap run. And, and then we just kind of sat around for two weeks and didn't know, like we weren't allowed to see any lap times the whole day. We didn't have any idea of where each other were from a lap time standpoint or anything like that. Um, I was pretty quiet. I was probably the most quiet, you know, I was kind of like a horse with blinders on most of the time. Like I, I wasn't there to talk or kid, you know, or, or joke or whatever. Like I was probably, you know, they were probably thinking like, I don't know what this guy would be like being around him, you know, week after week after week or whatever. Well, you certainly haven't so, changed much in the years on that talking part. <laughs> yeah, for sure. This is most I've ever heard him talk. Is there right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's kind of low key though, you yeah. know? Yeah. 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 So, so we kind of sat around for two weeks and then John Riser called me and he wanted to go to lunch and I asked Clayton if John had called him and he said, no. And at that point I'm like, well, John wants to get a lunch with me and he hasn't called Clayton. You know, I think I have a shot here. So I go eat lunch with John over in Denver and we sit and talk for a long time. And he said, well, I guess we need to get to the, to the point that I had you come over here. He said, our team is a family-based team. It's really all about me and Robbie and then all these guys, you know, that work on this team, we pretty much grew up around or Robbie grew up around and we're all family. We're friends. And we decided that we're going to basically vote on what we thought we needed to do. And he said, 
you know, yesterday we all sat down and voted. And he said, I'm sad to tell you, but you lost by one vote. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. He goes, no, I'm not kidding. He said, all the guys on the team actually wanted you to drive the car, but the two people that didn't vote for you was was Robbie and, and Matt, and that kind of put it over the edge. And I'm like, well, they're they're not, they're cup racing. They're not even around. They shouldn't get the vote. Yeah. <laughs> I can hear but, this, man. Yeah, <laughs> be like, just um, like me. I'd be ready. I'd be on the defense at that point. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and I asked John. I was like, well, you know, did, what did they say about the test? I said, for my future, you know, what did they say about the test? What could I have done differently? And they said, well you know, it really come down to age more than anything. Like he's probably more marketable than you are just from an age standpoint. And, um, I said, well, what about the test? You know, tell me something about the lap times and all that. And he said, well, when y'all did y'all's 50 lap run, the first 10 laps, Clayton was a 10th lap faster than you. And then from lap 10 to like lap 30, y'all were exactly the same. And then from lap 30 to lap 50, you were almost two-tenths a lap faster than him. And I was like, well, I could have told you that. Like, <laughs> I knew that, you know, I was going to keep the tires on it better. And he said, and Tracy wasn't even close to either one of you, so we're not even going to talk about him. So, you know, it ended up just being a deal to where, you know, I felt like I performed at the test, and it just wasn't meant to be. And I, I'm the type of person I think everything happens for a reason, and, it just it wasn't it wasn't in the cards and um the the cool thing was is I was still able to hang around them the next year. You know, I think Clayton ran seven or eight races and I was able to go to most of those. I was able to be around the team and I learned a lot. Um, you know, seeing the changes. I always had a headset on, you know, when he was driving the car and I was listening to the things that they were changing. Even when Matt was driving the car, I went to some of the local races like Bristol and Darlington and and all when Matt was in the car and I was able to hear Matt on the radio, tell them what spring to put in the right front and what bar to put in it and all those kinds of things. And all of that was just a huge learning curve for me is, you know, what are they doing with the radial tires and all this and that. So, um, you know, right then I was already starting to flip directions on what I should do. Um, I had a, uh, one of my best friends was a shock guy and he was on the Jasper car at the time. And he wanted me to go to lunch with him one day. And he basically told me that I just need to go work on a cup team. And I told him, I didn't think I was done driving. He said, look, I've been on a cup team for two years now. I came from late model racing and all that, just like you have. And he said, you're way smarter than all these people that work on these cup teams. He's like, you're going to go up the ladder faster than you think you are. And I didn't believe him, you know, and I put it off for like another year. And then it kept going and going and going. And finally, it got to the point to where I was at that age that, number one, I didn't need to live with my parents my whole life. Hey, hold that thought uh, right there. Need to take okay. a break and come right we'll back. We'll take a time out and we'll come back okay. and talk some more. We're talking to Rodney Childers. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace is teaming up with Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard to save you money on your vehicle purchase. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle in stock. 
Hey, Mike, there's a landing page online with all the info you need to take advantage of this offer. FordLincolnCharlotte.com slash Wallace. You can view inventory and more. You can even listen to any of the 80-plus episodes of Fast Car to NASCAR while there. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. Accomplished crew chief Rodney Childers is our guest. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Jeff, he is accomplished. You know, I got to thinking about this as I'm listening to the end of our, our, our previous segment. And when he was told by John Reiser that he wasn't going to get hired, you know, the, the, I would have thought the normal reaction would have been, well, the hell with you. I'm, I'm gone. I'm out of here. But he took that opportunity and didn't walk away from it. Right. Stayed around learning the Continued race car. Continued to learn. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's, that had to, be, number one, be hard because you wanted to be the race car yeah, driver. I mean, and, and all the way back to 12, working on the go-karts and whatnot, it sounds like Rodney. I mean, he was just destined to be a crew chief, right? Yeah. A mechanic. But, I, I'm, Rodney, I'm, I'm very impressed by that move that you made there that – you know, I, I guess from a driver, knowing what a driver sometimes thinks, good or bad, is like, well, hell, you don't want to hire me. I'm not going to be around, you know. But you, you stayed right there and learned a lot. Yeah, and, you know, that, that stuff was hard back then, right, because I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any any way of getting a pit pass any other way, right? Like, I, there was nobody I could call and say, hey, can you get me a pit pass for Darlington so I can be there? anything like that so you know john you know being willing to put me on a list and getting there and getting a pit pass and then walking out of the trailer and handing a radio and putting it on my head and you know you just don't get that kind of treatment from many people and john was just always incredible to me um and i i think he always wanted me to drive the car and it didn't happen but um we still continued to go to lunch and we still continued to communicate and all those things. And, um, I remember I drove all the way to Kentucky when we were racing, the, the bush cars were racing there and Jeff Bodine wrecked in practice and was hurt pretty good, like had a concussion and they didn't know who was going to drive the car and all. And I remember John running over there to, to Donnie Richardson and trying to talk Donnie into letting me drive it in the race, which I don't think, I don't think they would have passed me to be able to do that anyway, but it's still cool just to be part of it and for, for John to always have my back and, and those kinds of things. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was, I got to be there at Charlotte when Matt won the, the bush race there and got to go to victory lane with them. And then I got to be at Bristol 
Um, I bolted a new valence on it before the race and it kept folding the left front under it. So I made, uh, I got a, a shrinker and a stretcher out and made an aluminum piece to go under the left front of the valence and bolted it all on and it stayed straight the whole race and went to victory lane at Bristol with Matt also. So, you know, it was, I learned a ton. Um, and you know, you look at all those little stepping stones of, of figuring things out and just how this stuff operates and all, but that helped me move on. And, and, um, you know, like I was start was starting to say the, you know, the, the whole deal with deciding to go work on a cup team was very difficult. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie. I sat in my bedroom, you know, night after night, after night, after night, just bawling my eyeballs out that I was going to have to quit racing. Um, and, finally just bit the bullet and decided I was going to go work on a, t- a cup team. And, um, you know, I, I went to work at Jasper on the 77 car with Dave Blaney and just signed up to be a road mechanic. And, um, you know, they told me, you know, next week we're going to go to Daytona and test. And I said, well, how are we getting down there? And they said, well, we're going to fly. I was like, well, I've never flown in my life. And they're like, Oh no, <laughs> maybe, maybe we should have asked that when we were interviewing you. Um, so I got on a King air the next week and went to Daytona test and had never flown before. So, so um, what was that experience it, like? I've heard different stories from different guys. Well, what was your first flying experience? Well, like? I think it, I think it would have been outstanding if we didn't decide to carry too much stuff on the plane with us. Um, we pretty much had the plane stacked to the roof all the way down the aisles and in the back. And we had stuff stacked everywhere and we shouldn't have had that much weight in the plane, but it was interesting. It took us, I think we hopped off the ground about five times before it got off the ground. Um, so, you know, it was, it was a little sketchy for my first little bit, but I'm not, I'm not sure if being in a baby, little plane like that had was that baby overmaxed weight-wise, didn't they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. <laughs> Thank God no engine failure on that deal. <laughs> so, yeah. So so I got to back um, up because I interrupted you. I kind of went back to a point when whoever it was that called you or told you you need to – that worked at Jasper or something at a time and says, hey, you need to come yeah. work on a cup car. You know, I, I he'd give up driving whoever that was a couple of years before – how, how did that – what did that do to your mindset? Where, where was – and you said something about living at home with mom and dad or something. Where, yeah. And where did that start switching at? What what made you switch your thoughts? Yeah, it was one of – you know, I, I was kind of begging for rides at the time and just getting to race every now and then. And, you know, I was making, you know, $250 a week and barely getting by. And um, <laughs> I was still living at home and – just a lot of things that, you know, you, you probably want to grow up and move out and get married and have children and do all those things. And all that was kind of in the back of my mind that, you know, because every time I talked to somebody, they would talk about my age and, you know, they acted like I was 40 years old. And so, you know, it was, it was kind of that right during that time, there was a ton of these young, like way young guys coming into Bush series. Um, you know, and I was competing against a lot of guys that had a bunch of money. The grub boys had a bunch of money and like, you know, one of the cars, I was supposed to run that channel lock car at one test and, um, 
uh, Chevrolet ended up giving money for Shane Mill to, to, to go test it. So like, I mean, there was a lot of good drivers. I, I wasn't, I was not the only good one out there by any means that during that time, there was a lot of good ones and some had money and some didn't, some, you know, could speak better than others and all that. So I was kind of in a spot where I needed to figure out what I was going to do. I didn't want to live at home, you know, with my parents my whole life. And like I said, one of my best friends, Scott, he had came from, you know, dirt racing and late bottle racing and everything else. And he just, you know, told me I needed to go work for a cup team that I would move up the ladder faster than I thought I would. And, and then I was smarter than pretty much everybody that he had been working with and, and all this and that, which I didn't believe him, you know, but, you know, after going to work for a cup team, I realized in a hurry that if I kept my nose down and worked hard, that, yeah, I was going to move up in a hurry. So I went from basically the extra guy on the road of kind of doing interior work and stuff like that, to moving me to the front mechanic halfway through the year. And then at the end of the year, they offered me the car chief position. So I went from never working on a cup car to being the car chief, um, after one year and, and then car chief, uh, in 2004, all year long, um, Roger Penske had bought the team and Brendan gone had come to drive it and all that kind of stuff. And then at the end of that year, I got offered, honestly, just a lot more money to go car chief at MB2, MBV. And, you know, back then it was like, you know, you go from making $200 a week to, you know, working your way up over two years and somebody offering you a good bit of money to go car chief somewhere else. I just took it, you know, and you did you good know, for at, yourself. That was a, it took me a long time. <laughs> I wasn't smart enough to do that early on. I was kind of loyal well, and should have went I for the still money. Wonder, <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. You know, I, I still wonder like, you know, cause they, they, you know, when I told Penske, I was leaving, they said, well, would you stay if we gave you the car chief position on the twelve? with Newman. And I said, yeah, I probably would if it paid the same. And I said, here's what they're offering me. And they said, Oh, we can't pay you that. I'm like, all right, I'm leaving. So, <laughs> you know, it, it was pretty simple back then. I wanted to make more money and, um, you know, it all worked out for a reason. I started car chiefing over there with rigs and we went halfway through the year and they pulled me in the office when we got ready to go to Pocono and told me that I was going to crew chief that weekend. So, you know, it all just happened so fast. I'd never flown on an airplane before, never worked on a cup team. Went to Daytona, you know, Daytona 500 in 2003, and then Pocono 2005, I was a cup crew chief and have been ever since. So um, it's it's been just a whirlwind, honestly. Yeah, I'd say um, it worked out pretty good for you. Yeah, yeah. so, so the... Well, <laughs> The person I wasn't, that's, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I mean, I, I wasn't ready for that. Right. I mean, I kind of got thrown to the wolves, which, you know, you can look back on it and say, maybe it was a good thing because it pressured you into having to learn at a faster rate or whatever. But, um, you know, I wasn't making like as a car chief, I was making really good decisions and doing a really good job. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, you're the crew chief. Well, you know, now you got to deal with all the people and all the sponsors and all this and all that. And like, I was a car guy and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to make the suspension travel further and I wanted to do all those things and not sit in meetings or, 
deal with somebody's personal problems or whatever. Right. So, um, you know, I, I look back on all that and it, it was kind of a good thing, but it was kind of a bad thing at the same time. So if if somebody asked you to give them, they call it the 30-second elevator speech, right? You hop on an elevator and you take it to the top floor. What does a car chief do? And this is for the fan out there. Here's the name car chief, and they think they know, but they have no idea what he does compared to a crew chief. So give me a quick, what, what did you do as the car chief? And then how yeah, did that car- change as a crew chief? Yeah, the car chief, I was just over the cars and, you know, it was up to me to make sure, you know, that the truck arms were maxed out and the suspension was maxed out and the sway bar himes weren't binding up or, you know, ball joints hitting or this or that. And the car would travel as far as it could, um, making sure that the templates on the body fit, making sure we could get through tech, making sure nuts and bolts are tight and stuff doesn't fall off and oil lines don't have leaks and all those kinds of things. So really you're just in charge of the car and making sure that everything on the car is the best that it can be. Okay. So do you, at that point, do you dictate what goes on the race car as a car chief or is somebody else doing that as far as component wise? Are you suggesting what needs to go on there? It was basically up to the crew chief and engineer, um, you know, I was fortunate enough that it was a small team and, you know, Shane had come there with Brennan and they had a good relationship and there was times that we ran good, but Shane was super good to me. He would always keep me involved and he would pull me in his office and ask my opinion on certain things. And I I think that was good for me just because I felt like I was part of it, you know, and I was, I felt like I was part of making some of those decisions and, um, you know, and I, it was kind of a weird circumstance, too, because you had the 12 car that was just absolutely hauling butt every week with Newman, and they were kind of on their own program. And like your brother, um, you know, him and Larry were on a different program at the time. So, you know, it was kind of a battle all the time of, you know, <laughs> this is what the 77's doing, and this is what the 2's doing, and this is what the 12's doing. And it was like, you know, everybody's hiding everything from each other, and um so it was kind of an odd situation for shane because you know he was just hired to come in and crew chief the car and try to run good but you know it was hard enough for brendan to be a rookie in the cup series and then we didn't have our cars the same as the other guys and just a lot of different things weren't weren't really going our way but like I said, I was at least fortunate enough that shane was good to me and kept me involved and and uh you know, kept me motivated. Well, that's super cool. So as the uh, the program from Penske Racing goes, you leave there, you go over to MB2 or MBV, whatever it was called at that time, and where do you take it from there? What go, what goes on next? It was, it was, uh, it became super odd in a hurry. Um, you know, we, we, you know, they, they tell me I'm the crew chief and we start, running okay i mean we we weren't great um you know we had some races i think we finished second at michigan it was more on fuel mileage than anything and then pocono we had a good car and some of the places we did have a good car but um you could tell like something was going on and then finally scott pulled me to the side one day and he's like look we need to talk and 
Valvoline and Scott were going to start this third team at Everingham. And Ray wanted to talk to me about it. And, you know, for me, I was a huge Ray Everingham fan. Like, I I was all about the 24 winning races. And, you know, I thought they were all geniuses. And I was just amazed by what they could do and stuff. And so when all of that started going down, and Ray wanted to talk to me. Hold that was... Ray thought right there. When okay. You take a break. Good things are about to happen. Yeah. I can feel it. We're talking to Rodney Childers. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speedsport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Hi, it's Jeff Kent. You need to get behind the wheel of a vehicle that's built tough with Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle that we have in stock. That's right, $500 off any vehicle currently in stock. To take advantage of this deal, simply visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com slash Wallace. Don't miss out on this opportunity to save big on our entire inventory. Get $500 off new or used cars, trucks, and SUVs at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard now. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? <laughs> Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car and NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. One more trip around the sun, as they say, with Rodney Childers. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Rodney, I say the I love these shows that go so fast, even though they're all the same time. They're just so much fun information. And then you brought up that you were going to be talking to Ray Abraham. Well, I just want to let you know, and I'm going to ask you about Ray, but you've got a one up on Ray. <laughs> you're you're one week ahead of Ray Everham on Fast Car to NASCAR. We could go ahead and promote that yeah. Ray Everham is going to be on this show next week. Ray's going to come on next week, and um, so now let's go to Scott Riggs. Told you, hey, we're going to go over here and start this third Everham team, and you were a big admirer of Ray's, and take it from there. Yeah, yeah, and you know, Ray was just. You know, at the time, you you had to look at what Ray had done, right? I mean, he had won so many races and went off and started his own team with Dodge and all of those things. And, um, you know, to get a phone call from Ray and, wanting, you know, he wanted me to, at, when the garage closed at Atlanta, come to his bus. And um, I'd never been at a bus before in my life. I was waiting so, for you to say that when you said airplane. I'm thinking, well, he got asked to come to the bus. I wonder yeah. if he's at a bus before. <laughs> yeah. I was so intimidated. Like, really? I don't know if my hands were shaking or not, but I, I was so intimidated to stop by his place. and Just because it was know, him his, or it was the bus? 
or both? I think it was a little bit of everything because it was spotless and, you know, it looked like it had never been in, you know, nobody had ever been in it before is how clean it was. <laughs> and, um, and just sitting face to face with Ray, because if you don't know Ray and if you were, you know, this is back then, I mean, you know, if you were to go have lunch with him now, it might be differently, you know, be different, but then if you walked in there and you had never really met him before and you're going to sit at a kitchen table in his motorhome and talk to him, it was very intimidating. Um, and you know, that's kind of like when I run into you at the park road sandwich shop, I'm intimidated. (laughs) I don't know about that. I do. But, uh, (laughs) but you know, I mean, I was, like I said, I was just, you know, way intimidated, but, you know, we talked for a while and then he wanted me to come up to the shop and, and meet him one night. And we talked up there for a while and, you know, back, you know, at the time there wasn't even a shop for the third car. They were, they were in the process of building it. It was a concrete slab. And, um, so we continued to talk and it went, you know, week after week after week. And then he wanted me to come up there again. And, he basically just offered me a contract of crew chief in the 10 car and starting the 10 team at Everham and, and coming there with Scott and, uh, man, that was, that was huge. Um, I don't, I don't know where my career would have ever went if I would have stayed at, you know, MBV, MB2 or whatever, you know, I mean, I had a ton of support through Scott, um, you know, and a lot of confidence through him. And, uh, you know, right off the get-go, we were able to have fast cars and, you know, start, you know, we, we weren't out running Casey every week, but we were right there. And, um, you know, there were some races in 06 that we were, you know, you know how it is. You got those coulda, shouldas that um, you could have won if, you know, something wouldn't have happened or something didn't go wrong or you didn't lose spots on pit road the last stop of the race or whatever you know like we were we were competitive and um honestly i loved working there i loved working for ray um i loved the way that he conducted business and his expectations and the way that we had meetings and i still look up to all that like uh, i tell people all the time like if you could work for ray you can you can run the world it seems but um you know it, it just the way that all that was back then we had great race teams and i got to be you know really good friends with kenny francis and we went to lunch every single day for three years and i learned a ton from kenny and and all that so you know uh, a a ton of stuff right i mean you you kind of look at a lot of good crew chiefs from the past and a lot of them worked for ray in some form or fashion at some point and i think that was a a good stepping stone for me and you know it ended up kind of falling apart you know when he kind of sold out to the gillettes and and everything and i could see it coming and i kind of right when he bailed out i was trying to bail out too and ended up going to waltrip and had a lot of fun over there too I, i liked working for michael and bobby kennedy and all those people and had a lot of support with rudiman and um, and then yeah, obviously that led to working with Mark Martin. And I think really Mark's the one that turned my whole career around. Um, you know, we went from being average to showing up and being the fastest car off the truck every week. And everybody would start paying attention to like, Holy crap, every week that car unloads and the splitter is absolutely perfect. Like, I don't know how <laughs> they get it that good every week. 
and unload with no practice and, and be that good right off the get-go. And, you know, we started being fast off the truck and we started sitting on poles a lot and being competitive. And, you know, and I think the good thing about Mark was he's not scared to tell everybody, you know, certain things. And, man, he would get out of the car after every practice and talk about how good the car was and how – good a job Rodney's doing and all this and that and I think you know eventually that just started to wear in you know to people like Kevin Harvick and you know I think Kevin finally went to 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 Mark and asked him about me and one thing led to another and then I got a phone call from Kevin and and um you know the, the rest was history after that I mean once we got talking and communicating and and decided to do this together and race together it was just it was lights out from then on of just going and being competitive and winning races and um you know i tell people all the time i was just a normal guy right i mean i had won three cup races before kevin wanted me to crew chief for him and now i've won 40 like i mean that's just well, it's got to be a special feeling in 2014 you became kevin harvick's crew chief at stewart haas racing you guys won the damn title right out of the gate first year right yeah and then you look at it i mean we won five races that first year but god we should have won about 12 i mean we had a lot of first year blues of you know old lines and tires blowing out and this and that like there was so many races that we could have won. Um, I wish, you know, like we were saying earlier, like if you could go back and know the things you know now, I mean, gosh. Uh, hey, Rodney, guess what Guess what I got in common with you, buddy? What's that? I drove one race for Kevin Harvick in his truck <laughs> at mm-hmm. Talladega, and I won it. Yeah. So I've got That's a 1,000% awesome. batting average driving for KHI. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so when you're talking, hey. I, I was thinking about how he, how cool he was just for the one time and then thinking about your success with him. And uh, the way you mentioned all of a sudden that, I mean, your name become synonymous, right? Isn't that the word you use, synonymous, with just an exceptional crew chief, just a guy that right. made fast race cars and was kind of quiet, but laid his numbers on the board. So, driver to crew chief, what kind of a relationship did you have with Kevin Harvick then? I mean, was that was that hard? Was I mean, it easy? Did it just happen no, naturally? No, it was. It was so easy, and it was just one hundred percent natural. Um, you know, and I, I don't know if he had really ever had that type of relationship to where. Um, you know, that he just talked to somebody every single day and uh, was in, you know, was in it together 100%, you know, all the time. And just, it was so easy. Um, just the, the way we communicated, the way that we thought alike, um, you know, when he was, when he was flying off the handle, I was still low key and it kind of would, you know, make the whole thing mesh and calm him down. And, you know, people used to make fun of me because the only thing I would say back to him when he would fly off the handle on the radio is 10-4. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, what do you want me to say back? Do you want me to argue back and then we're just going to have a five-minute argument on the on the radio? Or do you want to just say 10-4 and move on from it and worry about the next pit stop? You know, so um, there was just – now, so much, since you so just much said good. that, I have to ask you about that. That's kind of that's actually humorous, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, it is. So, was it K 
Kevin wanting you or thinking you should talk more or other people like other teammates going, Oh, talk to him more. Say something more than 10, four. Who it was, was just other, it was just other people, okay. you know, yeah. that they, they just, they couldn't believe that I could just sit there and take it, you know, that he could yell at us all for having a bad pit stop. And the only thing I would say back is 10, four, like, well, shouldn't you yell back at him? And I'm like, no, I mean, it's not going to do us any good to yell back at him right now. So no, you should see my direct deposit payment last week for working here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. But you know, you know, like I said, and just you getting to drive one truck race for him, you, you would get to see just how professional he really is and how much he thinks and cares about all this stuff. And, um, he just, he lives it all day, every day. And everybody's like, well, you know, who's the hardest working guy, you know? And I'm like, well, it's Kevin Harvick. Like he, he just never, ever stops. And, um, some days I wish he would, I, I wish he would just relax and go to the mountains and have fun with his family. But that's, that's not the way he's wired. You know, I think he's going to continue to be, you know, working hard every single day. For so that time. wasn't his plan in retirement then play a lot of golf, you know? Go fishing? Not, not for him. <laughs> not for him. It, it, it has, it has completely went the other direction for that. I do want to echo what you just said, and uh, I want to, I want to take the moment because you brought it up and compliment Kevin Harvey. And I've told Kevin this individually. I can never thank him enough for letting me drive that truck. It come out of the clear blue, one race. Hey, we were looking. You know, Elliot Sadler was supposed to drive the truck. He didn't. We thought who could win the race. We called you. Nice. Big compliment right. by itself, right? But the program, the way it started at the shop on Monday of that week was so perfectly orchestrated. It was kind of when the trucks changed and we pushed draft and yeah. they built trucks for Teledega. It was just, I mean, it was like a script. It was like a Hollywood script that was wrote all the way down to practice, how, how to practice, you right. know. And uh, so thanks, Kevin and Delana Harvick. I appreciate that a bunch. So. Yeah, I mean, that's just the way they operated them, I and everything that they did was just 100% professional. So tell us about today. we got three minutes to wrap this baby up in. So you, you're Stuart Haas. You've got Josh Berry coming to drive. I see that you're over at Kevin Harvick working on his late model stock car and uh, got Josh running a few races there. Wrap us up or keep us up to speed here. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're in a little bit of a rebuilding portion at Stuart Haas Racing. You know, we didn't run as good as what we wanted to last year, and we're kind of in a position where we needed to rebrand a little bit. We released our new uh, logo and everything this week, and, and really that just comes down to the old one. You know, somebody was sitting across the table from you looking at your sweatshirt. You couldn't even tell what it said. So, now, everybody's kind of like up in arms of, you know, why we would do that. But it really just comes down to being able to see our name and realize what it says and and be more present. So, you know, we've done that. We've repainted the whole shop and changed some colors around and hanging pictures. And we're just uh, we're changing it all and changing our look and, you know, trying to, to be better. And I think having Josh come over here to drive the car was key for me. I was kind of in a position to where, you know, I didn't know if I should 100% keep doing it. You know, I, I think, you know, once you crew chief for Kevin Harvick and won 37 races together, it's kind of hard to replace that. And I mm -hmm. don't know if you'll ever be happy after that, right? So I was a huge Josh Berry fan. Um, I love late model stock car racing. I've, you know, tried to do everything I could do to promote Josh over the last, you know, four or five years and always did thought that he deserved a shot and 
it really come down that we didn't have anybody to drive the car and they asked my opinion and I told them I'd put Josh Berry in it. So, you know, it, it I hope that works out. Uh, um, but you know, Josh has, has become a, a great driver over the years and I think he'll do a great job for us. And, um, he was just peeking his head in my office a minute ago. So he's, he's here active every day and, and having fun and being around the guys and, and, uh, we're all, we're all ready to go. I think, um, you know, there's going to be ups and downs and, um, you know, I think we're going to have a, a little bit to learn on both sides of things and hopefully we can communicate well and, and go out there and compete and, and do a good job. Rodney, to help all the, the racers that are out there that are just racers and I, and, and kind of tell me if I'm hearing this right or wrong, Josh Berry is coming to Stuart Haas racing because he's a race car driver. It's not because he's got a big checkbook tied to him. Is that correct or not? Yeah, that's a hundred percent correct. Um, you know, he, he had zero money when he signed the contract to drive this four car. So that's good to hear. Um, Congratulations. I'm proud of you for, uh, believing in his talents. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I've just, I've just always thought the world of him and you know, he can, he can go win anywhere. And uh, I think, I was telling my guys this morning, I was like, you really got to think back at when they told him that he could run, what, six or seven races that one year. He was a part-time guy, and in a part-time schedule where you don't get to race them very much, he went to Martinsville, won the race, and then he goes to, what, Las Vegas in the fall that year and wins the race. And it's like, you know, when I, when I late model raced, uh, I can remember going from Hickory to Memphis, and when I got to Memphis, I was like, man, I don't know if I want to go this fast. <laughs> and here's a guy that was going from Hickory to Las Vegas and running wide open and qualifying. Right. So, um, if he's okay, we're going that fast and then he'll, he'll be fine pretty much anywhere. So well, he's got a, he's got a ton of talent and, uh, hopefully we can do him some justice and give him some good, good race cars. Well, you certainly know and <clears throat> know how to bring the best out in everybody, your leadership at the race team, your knowledge of the race car, you drove. You helped Kevin Harvick win all those races. Congratulations! Thanks for sharing your story with us today. Indeed, I, great career. Yeah. Love it. You had a phenomenal career. Going to continue that career, of course. Yeah. Good luck at Daytona. Yeah. Let's yeah, go. Thank y'all. I really appreciate it. All right. There goes Rodney Childers, and you've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. <laughs>